you will, take your Bibles and turn to Revelation. Revelation chapter 3. You see it on the screen. Revelation chapter 3. It was several years ago that I sat in a small group of men from the age of maybe their mid-twenties to one or two of them might have been in their seventies. And as we sat around sharing in what would be a discipleship group, one of our young men, he was about, he's between 25 and 30. He was married, had a beautiful wife, and, and they had one child at the time. They got a couple more now. We were sitting around talking and sharing, and this is what he said. He said, I have always wanted to be the man. Now, that statement on itself may sound like it's egotistical, but we knew Adam. And there was nothing egotistical about that, about his demeanor and everything. And so we we said, would you tell us what you mean? He says, yeah. He said, I've always wanted to be the man, the guy, the one that everybody could depend on. When people thought of my name, I want them to think that he is faithful, he's dependable, he's reliable. Whether it's in my job, whether it's in my marriage, whether it's in my church, whether it's in my faith, I want to be that man. And here's what I want to say to you today. That is the very essence of what Jesus is looking for. That is the very essence of who God called us to be. For you see, Jesus died on the cross. For you and me, he died to save us, that is to free us from our sin. And he died that we could have a personal relationship with God, one-on-one, up close and personal. And he died that we can one day have an eternal home. He died to give us what we call eternal security, that when we come to Jesus, Jesus comes in and changes our lives and makes us a new creation, that we can be like him, and like him is to be dependable. It is to be able to be counted on. It is to be consistent. Consistent. As we are looking toward the week that we pray, God stirs our hearts even more, what we call... We call traditionally revival, and they very rarely become revivals. They're just revival efforts or revival services. And we're praying that God really sends an overflow of his spirit and leads us to revival. As we do that, we've been working our way through this book, the Revelation, and particularly the seven churches in chapter 2 and 3. And I'll just review those with those who have not been here. In chapter 2, the first church was the Ephesians church, which we call the careless church. And then we came to the Smyrna church, which confronted church. And then Pergamum was the compromised church. And then Thyatira was the corrupted church. Last week was Sardis, which was the comfortable church. You see... We are getting a panoramic view, kind of a 30,000-foot view of Jesus of all the churches. Today, we're going to talk about the church at Philadelphia. We're going to call it the consistent church. That's what Adam was saying. He was saying, I want to be dependable. I want to be consistent. The truth is, Philadelphia, the consistent church, is the church that I want to be a part of. 
It's the church that I long for us to be. You see, when I read these letters, and I've said this before in this series, so I'm going to say it again. I read these letters to the churches out of the mouth of our Lord Jesus himself. And I wonder if he were to write a letter to New Hope, what would he say? Would there be commendations or would there be condemnation? Philadelphia is only one of two churches in chapter 2 and 3 that there is no condemnation for because he's calling them, he's applauding them for their consistency, but he's calling us to be consistent. If you found Revelation chapter 3, and can and will, would you stand to honor the reading of God's word? We'll pick it up down in verse number 7. Write to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. Thus says the Holy One, the true one, the one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will close, and who closes and no one opens. I know your works. Look, I have placed before you an open door that no one can close because you have but little power, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Note this, I will make those from the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews and are not but are lying, I will make them come and bow down at your feet and they will know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my command to endure, I will also keep you from the hour of testing that is going to come on the whole world to test those who live on earth. I am coming soon. I'm going to read that again. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one takes your crown. The one who conquers or overcomes. I will make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will never go out again. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from God, from my God, and my new name. Let anyone who has ears to hear, listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come into a place like this and we have no idea of all that you want to do in us. We know what you've done for us. But Lord, whatever you want to do in us, we pray that today that you will sense in our hearts the freedom for you to come and work, for you to come change, for you to come touch, for you to come and reveal to us. For the minutes that remain, I pray that you will be in charge. Hide me behind the cross. Let me speak no word but your word, no truth but your truth, and we will hear no voice but yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Last week, 
We talked about the church at Sardis, the comfortable church. And one of the things about the church at Sardis is that it, is, it says in Scripture that they had a reputation for being alive. We talked about reputation. It's what you're known by. They had a reputation for being alive, but Philadelphia was the church that was actually alive. Oh, they were dead to some things, but they were alive to Christ. You see... They were dead to the pull of this world, but they were alive to the pull of heaven. They were dead to the pull of this culture, but they were alive to the pull of Christ. They were dead to, they were dead to time, but they were alive to eternity. They understood what it was, what they needed to do. And I'm going to tell you this today, folks. The culture does not understand, and sometimes the church culture does not understand, that we're in a battle against evil. We're in a battle against evil. Now, it's true that we don't war against flesh and blood. That's other people, but, but, but against principalities and powers. But here's what happens. Satan will come into people and use them for his own good. Satan tries to get a toehold which will develop into a foothold, which will develop into a stronghold. And it's easier than you think. And here's something I want to tell you. If we are going to do battle with the unseen enemy, we need the unseen hand. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world, but you make no mistake about it. Greater is he who is in the world than you are by yourself. Folks, to be consistent individually and collectively, there are some things we have to do. As I'll put on the screen, go ahead. The consistent church, the consistent Christ follower has to recognize and respond to some things. And if you're in your bulletin, there's four things that I'm going to lift out of this text that we need to recognize and respond. And before I give them to you, I want to say this. Recognizing is not good enough. You can recognize something's evil and still let it overtake you. You can recognize something is wrong and still do it. You can recognize something's good and not respond to it. It takes us recognizing and responding to become consistent. Let's talk about it from the scripture. The first thing that a consistent church recognizes and responds to is through the overseer. The overseer. Truth is, is that the overseer of the church is none other than the founder, than the husband, than the leader, than the soon coming king. The overseer of the church is none other but Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is everything to the church. In fact, I will tell you this. A church without Jesus Christ is nothing but a glorified social club. He's got to be the center of attention. He's actually, as we read here, the key holder. You know that key holders are the ones that have authority. And Jesus holds the ring of keys. Now, where do you get that, Brother Jerry? Well, just like my friend Adam wanted to be the man or the one, Scripture begins right here with this. Thus says the Holy One, the True One, the One. There is no other. 
And he has the keys. Now, it's true that it says the key of David here. And here's what I want to tell you. Time doesn't permit us to really unpack that. But that's a reference to the Old Testament. When God, when God told the guy, the little pro, the prophet to unseat, I'm glad Ken's not here today, to unseat thug turned politician or politician turned thug. You see, the truth is Eliakim, Eliakim was told to take Shebna out. And the only way it helps us today, the only way I'm knowing that's for the key of David, is that Isaiah 12, 12 reads this way. I will place the key of the house of David on his shoulder. What, no, what he opens, no one can close. What he closes, no one can open. And with that in our mind, now we look down to verse 7 where it says he holds the key of David and then he follows with who opens and no one will close. Jesus opens and no one will close and who closes and no one opens. Opening and closings. Jesus is still in the opening and closing business. Let me just offer you three doors that he opens for us. He opens, first of all, the door of redemption. That's the door that we walk through and be saved. You see, the truth is, is that when he left this earth from the Ascension Mountain, where 500 witnessed his ascension, he left wide open the door of redemption. That door means that you can be forgiven of your sin. That means you can be released from your sin. That means that you can start a relationship with God through Christ Jesus. And oh, by the way, I don't care what your best friend says. If they tell you they got a relationship with God and they don't have a relationship with Jesus, they don't have it right according to God's holy word. There is only one way. You see, Jesus opens the door of redemption that you come to him and you find forgiveness for your sin. You find a right relationship with the Father. You find life to the fullest, life abundantly. And oh, by the way, the retirement plan is wonderful. The door of redemption, if you've never walked through that door, this is your invitation today. Trust Christ. He died for your sin. That's how much he loved you. He loved you so much that he died for your sin. He loved you so much that he came back to life to make you right before the Father. If he's still in the ground, we have nothing to celebrate but bless God. His tomb is empty. You see, he's the overseer. He opens the door for redemption. But there's a second door he opens. Now, before I leave that, let me just say, if there's anybody here and you have any question at all, oh, please, I'd love to talk with you about your relationship with God through Christ. Personal. Your, your husband may have a deep walk with God, and you may have nothing. You're not going to get into heaven because you're the, the husband, uh, because you're the wife of a husband who knows the Lord, or vice versa. It's personal. It's the door you have to walk through. Your mom and dad can't walk through it for you. Your kids can't walk through it for you. Your, your grandparents can't walk through it. I, and one of my heartaches is when somebody walks up to me and said, I don't need Jesus, Brother Jerry. You know, my daddy, 
He is a preacher for 40 years. We can't allow, we can't, we're not going to get there like that. Redemption's personal. The second door that I'd suggest to you that he's opening today is a door of restoration. Please hear me and listen closely. It's very easy for someone to trust Christ. And then the evil one come back through friends and family and pull that person deep into sin. 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 That's an interesting concept. Certainly we know from the biblical that sin is missing the mark, missing God's mark. But it's interesting on a human level because Tim, my sin don't always seem just about as bad as yours. You know what I mean, brother? Steve, my sin, my sin doesn't require as much forgiveness as yours does. And then, and then you get into the levels of sin. Well, I just committed a little sin. Just a little sin. Let me just clear this up for anybody that's confused. The Bible puts gossip on the same level with adultery. He, it, it puts wicked attitude on the same level as murder. You see, in God's eyes, there are no levels of sin because Jesus had to die for every one of them. And yet in your sin, if you've been one of those, boy, you just slipped off deeply into sin... A long way from the Father. Here's what I want to tell you. The door of restoration is open. And that door is repentance. There is no restoration without repentance. You can't get back to him without repenting. Because when you're walking in sin, we're walking this way. When you repent, you turn and you walk this way. You walk back toward him. You're either walking toward God or toward the world. You're either walking toward the Savior or Satan. You're walking toward the triune one or the tempter. Which way you walk? And if if you're in sin, you need restoration. You need repentance. And I'm going to say this to you. God's people, those of the redeemed, need to be good repenters. We're never going to keep a hot heart. We're never going to stay on track. We're never going to be consistent if we don't learn to repent. Jesus opens the door for restoration. He opens the door for redemption, but he also opens the door to be revived. Well, Brother Jerry, what's the difference between being revived and and being restored? I was going to tell you, if you've fallen deep into sin, maybe you're here for the first time in a long time and, 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 and... And you feel a little out of place because there's been so much in your life. That's not who I'm talking about. At the same time, there may be people who you got saved and you didn't follow. You didn't just commit your life to sin, but your heart just grew cold. You lost the sweetness. You lost the joy. You lost the wonder. You lost your connection. You see, the truth is, 
Repentance is still the key. Once you walk away, the only way back is repentance. Turn to him. Turn from sin. Turn to him. And if you do that, he will hear. You know, whoever comes to me, I will know cast out. So I asked you this morning. I'm speaking to a crowd, I'm guessing, of 170. Maybe more on the stream. It's like that game show. Which door is yours? Door number one, door number two, or door number three? Which door is yours? Is it the door of redemption? Is it the door of restoration? Is it the door of revival? What is it? Which one's yours? It doesn't matter which one yours is because the door is open. The door is open. And nobody can close the door. But here's what I want to say to you, and I want to be as as honest as I can. It is still a door. It's a possible means of entry. So that means that you have to voluntarily walk through it. An open door means nothing if you don't walk through it. Just one other thing. The Bible clearly teaches that God will not always strive with man. That means that God will not always speak to man, that God will not always woo man. What he opens, no one can close. And watch this. What he closes, no one can open. If he's speaking to you today and you feel that pull in your heart, respond to the overseer today. He is not obligated to give you another opportunity. The consistent church, the consistent follower, recognizes and responds to the overseer. The second thing is that consistent church recognizes and responds to the opportunities. The opportunities. When I read this letter, it occurs to me that this is not a mega church. This is not a large membership church. There was a mega church back then in Jerusalem where the, uh, where the Holy Spirit fell. 3,000 were saved one day, 4,000 were saved. It's suggested, historians suggest to us, that by Acts 6, where there was a problem and they elected seven men, which we believe are the forerunners of the deacon, 20,000 church, seven men, it suggested that there were twenty could have been twenty thousand or more members of the church in Jerusalem. It was a it was a large inner city multi staffed church. Not so with Philadelphia. Philadelphia, they had if you look here, it says I placed before you an open door. There's your opportunity that no one can close because you have little Power. Why do they have little power? Because they have a small membership. 
They were small in numbers, but they were consistent in their work. They were, they were large in their faith. They kept the word and they did not deny his name even in the midst of a culture that was trying to squash them. That meant they were dependable. That meant they were faithful. That meant they were, they were uh, consistent in keeping his word of holding up his name, of holding out his hand to everyone so they could come to know Christ. How do I know this? How do I know that they were faithful in keeping his word and holding up his name and holding out his hand? How do I know that? Because here's the truth. There is no way to keep his word without holding out his hand and offering the gospel. There is no way to hold up his name without holding out his hand and telling people the gospel. There is no way to please Jesus without sharing the gospel with those who need it so that they can walk through the door of redemption. Now the opportunity for sharing the gospel is a matter of perspective, I guess. I've had people to say, not here, I've had people to say to me before, Brother Jerry, it just seems like everybody who's going to go to church is going to church. I would not argue that statement, but I believe it comes from the wrong perspective. Getting people to attend worship services or Sunday schools is good and admirable. But hear me, it's short-lived. If you get them just to come to another meeting, it's almost like a club to them. On the other hand, if our goal is to hold our hand of the gospel out to them and they find Jesus, and they find Jesus being a part of his church family becomes second nature. Because Jesus came for the church, he lived for the church, he died for the church. One day he's coming for the church. This church is his building, his body, and his bride. When somebody gets saved, they come and and they experience prayer and worship and discipleship and fellowship and ministry and they help in evangelism. You see, Jesus opens the door of opportunity for us to be his hands and feet to the lost world. Revival comes to people who choose to be consistent. Choose to consistently be a part of what he's doing. Walking through the doors that he offers us. I do believe this. I believe we must discover. I know you get tired of hearing me say this, but I used to be tired of sitting where you sit and feel like the preacher was mad at me and didn't like like where we were or anything like that. And that's not it. We do so many things wonderfully well. It's great to be a part of a church that does things wonderfully well on the human, but we must Please listen, we must 
find the avenues to reach into our community so that we can become the hands of Jesus, sharing the gospel. There are people in this woods that don't have never, never heard of Jesus. And it's up to us. Jesus put it on us. And the opportunity is ours. And I'll just say this. When a group makes a decision to not walk through the door of opportunity, he can close that door. And not only can he close that door, he can close that body. He can close that church. Most of us worry about him putting his hand on us in, in, um, in judgment. You know what I worry about? I worry about that God may take his hand off of us. You see, the consistent church hears, sees, responds to, recognizes opportunities. And I'll tell you, opportunities of today are much different than opportunities of the past. We have to have one eye toward heaven and one eye on the future. Consistent church next recognizes and responds to the obstacles. The obstacles. Jesus tells us that even the most consistent churches has people and things who become obstacles. You know what an obstacle is. Something gets in your way. When you read here, verse 9, I will note this. I will make those from the synagogue of Satan. They claim to be Jews. That would have been Christian. They claim to be church members. They claim to be saved, but are not. The implication is these guys are trying to get in the way of what God is doing. These could be people who are simply content with the status quo. This could be People who had eyes looking back. Could be the people, you know, the seven last words of the church. We never did it that way before. That's the negative. Can I give you the positive? We have always done it that way. You see, God is leading us today, 21st century, 2020 and forward. He's leading us like he did in the Old Testament to a place that we probably have never been. He says, I see it. I know it. As a church, I want you to keep on keeping on for me, and I'll take care of that. Years ago, Dr. Dean Register, who is a, a good friend, and I were sitting at lunch, eating lunch. We're talking about some of the struggles of ministry, and he said, you know, Jerry, if you carry the football, somebody's going to try to tackle you. If you carry the football, somebody's going to try to tackle you. The football would be the gospel. If you try to carry the gospel, somebody's going to try to stop you. Someone, something is going to... Now, you know, let me go back to football. Most everybody in here, I know... I don't want to offend because some ladies, my wife, for instance, is a bigger football fan these days than I am. 
so they understand a little more. Once she figured out it wasn't innings, but it was quarters, we were in good shape, okay? Once she realized it wasn't a home run, but it was a goal, you know, that you, anyway, that's enough. But here's what I'm going to tell you. Football, the football has to be advanced down the field if you're going to win the game. Simple. Now, you can do it a lot of ways. You can tuck it and run it if you're the quarterback. You can hand it off. You can pitch it out. Or you can throw a pass. You can even kick it. But the ball must be advanced. In this game of life that we call the gospel, the football must be advanced down the field. And he's put us on the field playing. He's called us to be the ones that advance it. Overcome the tacklers. Overcome that linebacker. We are the offense. We are on offense. Overcoming the obstacles, whether they're internal or external. Our goal is the prize. You just read it. One thing I do, forgetting what's behind, but I look forward. I strain forward. I'm trying to get to the tape, reaching for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's our call. The consistent church. Recognizes and overcomes obstacles. And finally, church recognizes and responds to the outcome. Well, that doesn't really fit, Brother Jerry. Well, yeah, it does. We'll read verses 10 through 12 in a second. But here's what I'm going to tell you. One of my favorite truths of Stephen Covey's seven habits of the highly effective person. One of my favorite truths is this. I hope you'll write it down. I hope you'll engrave it on your, on your forehead or your wrist, somewhere where you can read it. Begin with the end in mind. Begin with the end in mind. Why is that important? Because if you know what your goal is, you always know where you're headed. If you know what your goal is, you know what is an obstacle and what is a help. If you got your Bible open, Jesus says to them in verse 10, he says, Because you have kept my command to endure, I will keep you from the hour of testing that's going to come on the whole world to test them who live on the earth. I am coming soon. There's an anchor point. He's coming. I have a message entitled, Ready or Not, Here He Comes. Because whether you're ready, whether you're still putting it off or not, He's coming, and he come, He's coming in an hour that you don't think, and an hour that you're not looking forward to it. Back in the 70s, we used to sing song after song after song after song about the second coming of Jesus. Great song stirred our heart. But he probably wasn't coming then because everybody's looking forward to him. Who's looking forward to him today? Woke up this morning. Yeah, did you wake up this morning thinking he might come today? He might. Truth is, he says, I am coming soon. Hold to what you have so that no one takes your crown. And watch this. The one who conquers, the one who overcomes, 
I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. He will never go out again. That means he'll be the center of the temple. He'll be the one holding it together. And watch this. And on that pillar, he's going to write three names up there. He's going to write the name of my God. He's going to write the name of the holy city of my God. And he's going to write my new name up there for the one who stays with it. Now, did you catch all of that outcome? He encourages you and me to remain at our post, to remain holding up his name and holding out his hand of the gospel. The consistent church, the consistent Christ follower becomes a being, a support. We'll be branded literally gods. This means an eternity in heaven. If I were to ask today, who wants to go to heaven? Everybody would raise their hand. If I were to ask today, who knows that you're going to heaven? 98% of us would raise our hands. But if I were to take us off one at a time and I would say, why do you think you would go to heaven? I've done this before, not with a congregation, but just with people as I pass. Why do you think you'd go to heaven? Well, I'm a good person. I've been a very faithful dad. I've been a very faithful mom. I don't drink, I don't chew, and I don't run with them. You can't say that anymore. I, I don't do all those things. I'm a good person. And that probably would be true if I were your standard or if somebody around you was your standard. But the problem is, please listen, the standard is way up here. If I were to go back here and mark on the wall. Do you remember when we used to mark on the wall about our kids growing? Some of you may do that. You'd go to a doorpost. Right, Aiden? Go to a doorpost. Used to be this tall. I, I pick on Aiden because when I, when I baptized him, he was this tall. Six months later, he's this tall. So you know what I'm talking about. So, you know, where, where do you put yourself if the ceiling is Jesus, his holiness, God's holiness? Where do you put yourself on the scale of holiness and goodness? Without Jesus, you're going to be at the bottom. There is no other way. Without Jesus, the outcome is not what you want it to be. The outcome is what he wants it to be. Teenagers, I love you guys, but one of the attributes of teenagers, you always feel like you can talk your parents and your leaders and your friends out of it. I mean, I love you guys. Some of you talk 200 words a minute with gust up to 2,000. You're not going to be able to talk your way out of this. You're not going to be able to talk your way out of it. I know your works. I know if you're consistent. I know if you're faithful. 
That's what I want you to walk away with today, that he knows. It doesn't matter what you say, it matters what he knows. That he says, listen, anyone who has ears to hear, listen to what the Spirit says. You know what? What's the Spirit saying to you right now? If he, if he came this minute, would he say, enter into my heaven? Or would he say, depart from me? I never knew you. Only two options. There's not a third option. There's not multiple choice. Two options. You see, he's called us to be consistent as individuals and as a church. And when we are, we'll respond to him as the overseer because we've got our eye on the outcome. We respond to his opportunities that he put before us because we think about the outcome. And when we run into obstacles, we will remember the outcome and understand that it's worth it all. Is God speaking to you? Are you walking with him? Today he's calling. He's calling you to give your all. I'm calling you to give your all, but it doesn't matter what I say. He is calling If he's speaking to your heart, don't delay. Let's bow together.